I've been coming since about 1993, and I've heard hundreds of Dharma talks from people. different ways of seeing the Dharma, the truth, and expressing it. And uh, I have my own, uh, what I like to do when I do a Dharma talk is exactly probably what I shouldn't be doing, is I tend to intellectualize too much or conceptualize. It's things I like to do, and it's probably the least uh, effective way of communicating to people. Because I think people would like to hear uh, particularly with Zen, kind of uh, more intimate kind of experience uh, and one's own personal kind of taste of the practice, what have you. And uh, in particular, this time of the year, you know, we're into the new year, New Year's resolutions, we had our uh, New Year's Eve service, burning defilements, getting rid of past uh, actions and, and, and uh, well, defilements and cankers and things like that. And they're not very nice words, but things we'd like to get rid of before we kind of take on positive things for the new year. And so it kind of occurred to me that I'd kind of like to look back myself at what I've done last year. And uh, personally, it's been a very trying year. And it's really kind of brought out uh, challenges to practice and kind of like taking meditation and uh, that, well, I guess like the rubber hitting the road kind of thing. Is it really going to work in situations that are stressful, anxious, fearful, what have you? And uh, uh, a lot of this last year has been concerned with, uh, you know, family matters. And uh, maybe I'll just share that because Again, um, Zen, you know, I I think one of the uh, uh, guidelines to uh, your practice is that it should be intimate, obvious, spontaneous, and immediate. And uh, so I like to kind of get a little bit intimate in terms of of that. And... uh, I don't think in the past I've been the most patient person in the world. Uh, I've often walked out of our Dharma student meetings uh, because I had to supposedly leave early, but I was just getting impatient. And I've even walked out of the back of College Street Sangha Council meetings where all the teachers and Sunim were there. Um, that's just my thing, you know, that, uh, something I have to work on. And. Uh, other defilements, I tend to get angry and, and what have you, and, uh, which is part of being impatient. Uh, 2018, uh, I've had to change a lot of that, kind of really work on being connected, open, caring, compassionate, uh, in particularly with, with my wife. Uh, we've been together since, uh, well, geez, 1970. Uh, April 1970s, 49 years almost. And, uh, you know, it's been kind of one of a roller coaster kind of relationship. I've occasionally left home, but always come back. And, uh, you know, and, you know, we've kind of kept it going. Part of the problem is that we're too similar. You know, whatever defilements I have, she tends to have. We're both Tauruses. Never get two Tauruses together, you know, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> 
And, you know, she's stubborn, I'm stubborn, uh, what have you, all these things. And, but, you know, uh, my wife, Jeanette, uh, you know, she developed a, a fairly severe illness uh, about the time we moved into this temple uh, in 2011. And um, uh, since then, she's been on uh, oxygen therapy, like 24-7 kind of thing. And this is COPD, which, if you don't know what it is, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, kind of a modern term for emphysema, uh, chronic bronchitis, uh, non-reversible asthma, what have you. And uh, there's no cure. It just gets worse. The only thing you can do eventually is get a lung transplant if you want to survive, I suppose. And there's a lot of mindfulness required, particularly as you get into more advanced stages or later stages of it. Um, there's constant monitoring of, you know, oxygen uh, and oxygen levels, uh, not, uh, you know, like taking the medication, you know, there are inhalers and things like that. And you, you just have to be careful all the time as well as a, there's a machine sort of similar to a CPAP machine that's used at night, it's a BiPAP. And um, as well as you get more into it, you know, kind of cognitively, uh, you start forgetting things and uh, you're not really aware quite often. And 2017 was relatively stable, but 2018 has been like all kinds of admissions, I think five admissions to St. Mike's and, uh, you know, uh, pulmonary rehab at West Park, and it's just been a horrendous year in, in terms of her health. And uh, I haven't been able to really fulfill my duties here very well uh, because I've not been coming in in the evenings, I have nobody to cover for me at home, and couldn't do the all-night sitting, for example, only did a few days of the retreat. Uh, so it's kind of interfered in, in my own ability to perform as a Dharma teacher here. But anyway, regardless, the interesting thing is, is that, you know, we've never been more connected and loving. You know, um, there's something very deep and uh, real that's developed between myself and my wife. And, uh, you know, you have somebody's life in your hands. And that's been a great honor to kind of be with somebody, uh, you know, at this kind of stage in her life. And it's also, a, a, you know, something that, you know, you could think would be very anxiety-provoking or fear-provoking. And, you know, there's a bit of that. But then there is a great kind of happiness and joy and peace from realizing that you're you know, dealing with a human being and uh, you're both very, very close uh, and, and no time other than in the last um, 49 years have we ever felt that way. And, uh, you know, so where does practice come into it? Uh, I think on our retreat, uh, Haju Sunam, and I, I forgot to mention, Haju Sunam has done quite a number of uh, uh, talks that have been very uh, uh, wonderful here. She said that, she was quoting a, an American Zen teacher, an expert on the Huadu, saying awakening uh, 
is simply uh, being attentive and compassionate. And, you know, that to me was very kind of uh, important because, you know, just being attentive all the time, you know, at night, you know, I have to kind of sleep with my, um, not really sleep, like kind of like sleep, like Buster used to sleep, my dog. You know, you could walk in a room and he'd know you were there. I'd have to make sure that uh, Jeanette's alarm doesn't go off or if she doesn't call out or if I hear the machine running and all these different things. And that's great because, you know, you're, you're just there all the time. You're forced, in a sense, to be mindful. And I'm the kind of person you have to kind of force into the uh, Dharma. Uh, <laughs> I remember uh, Haju Sumer, uh, giving a talk that's always been uh, uh, meant a lot to me. And it was a story about the early days of the Ann Arbor Temple and how they, uh, and I probably have the story wrong, but how they, uh, you know, back then they had a plastic cheap Buddha statue that they bought from the five and ten or whatever it was, Woolworths. I don't think we have any here. But it was a nice statue, but it had this horrible gold plasticky finish to it. And they thought, well, you know, it really doesn't convey, you know, what they want in terms of, of, of the Buddha statue. So they decided to try all kinds of things to give it a little bit more subdued patina. You know, they would uh, bury it underground for a while and bring it out. Put it outside on the roof for long periods of time. <laughs> bathe it in uh, different um, uh, herbal solutions <laughs> or what have you and uh, nothing would penetrate the plastic layer, you know, and it, it, it was just the same as it was when they bought it. <laughs> and I guess eventually this is the part I'm not so sure of but eventually they decided to sell it or at a, a rummage sale and somehow or another Sondheim I'm sure knows what happened uh, the statue came back. <laughs> and, but it was beautifully uh, uh, weathered, you know, it had a really authentic look to it. It looked like it was a thousand years old. So Haju asked uh, the woman who brought it back, said, what, how did you do this? And uh, the woman said, uh, sometimes you just have to get the drain out. You know? <laughs> And for those who may not know Drano, <laughs> which is a, uh, you know, used for opening drains, and particularly back then, now you buy drain openers and they're liquids and pour it down. But uh, Drano is a, a, a crystalline uh, concoction which was little fine particles of aluminum, potassium nitrate and sodium hydroxide or lye which would create, when you put water in it, a very violent chemical reaction. Potassium nitrate is what they use in gunpowder. And it would heat up the pipes. And you'd clear your drains pretty well. So it's, you know, it's pretty effective. And so 2018 was the year, kind of, I felt that I had to get the drain out in terms of my own, you know, practice. That I had to, you know, really kind of get to it, you know, start sitting on a regular basis, really kind of pay attention all day, all night, and uh, not slip back to any of my little uh, 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 
problems that I've had in the past, you know, addictions, what have you, addictive patterns. And um, it's nice to have been able to do these things voluntarily, but, you know, when you're, you're literally forced into life and death situations, uh, you do it. And I found that, again, I'm so grateful, uh, not only to this kind of uh, experience that my wife has been able to give me, but also, you know, we live in an extraordinary country, and much as we like to malign the health system, you know, um, we've had extraordinary help from hospitals and doctors and nurses and uh, all kinds of health providers. And, uh, you know, uh, at West Park alone, Jeanette was there for nine weeks uh, living there. And uh, all these things are free, you know. God help us if we were in the United States or something like that. <laughs> and he had nine weeks at a, you know, live-in um, uh, health facility like that. And, you know, the, I guess the bottom line being, you know, in, in Buddhism, you know, we kind of have to accept the present moment, accept things as they are, um, get away from adding commentary to everything, kind of thinking a little bit too much. Uh, I kind of feel that, you know, the best way to go about a lot of things in life um, and is kind of like the way you'd be on a, on a driving at night on a highway in the wintertime in bad weather and uh, tractor trailers are driving past you. And, you know, it probably doesn't help to think too much in a situation like that. Because uh, if you start thinking, then, you know, you're going to get afraid. And fear is not particularly helpful driving either, uh, or any emotions for that much. You know, you're just there. You accept the situation, you're aware. It is what it is. Sure, you could die. Uh, you know, but, you know, it's just, you know, you're probably not, if you're thinking about how you might die, the slightest little um, thing going wrong, you'll probably overreact to it or steer off the road or whatever, you know, but just be there almost uh, like you're, you're, you know, like, I don't know, um, you're just there. And this year, um, you know, I've been finding, uh, wherever it's been, that if I can just accept the present moment, just be there, just this, which is so easy to say, but for me anyway, so hard to do, um, then I think awakening in, in, in the, the Buddhist sense is in fact you know, just cultivating, you know, this kind of compassion and attention at all times. And, like, I think behind us we have, are those New Year's resolutions behind us? In the swan. Yeah. That, that I think, well, I kind of joked with Sanha about them earlier, uh, that I said, you know, you could probably pass these out to everybody, and they'd probably be relevant to everybody, even though it's not your resolution. I think that could be wrong. But uh, I think everybody basically has the same issues. And everybody, particularly in North America, Canada, the United States, a, a lot of that has to do with connection. You know, connection to 
the moment, to each other. Um, you know, there's a, a profound sense of disconnection in this day and age. Many people have remarked upon this. And, and with that comes kind of uh, a profound sense that you're not good enough or, you know, self-effacement or self-shame or things like that. And it just seems to be part of where we live. And one way that one can kind of overcome that is by embracing, you know, kind of what we'll all be dealing with at some point or another, uh, you know, old age, sickness, death, and, uh, you know, and embrace it all with kind of, not fear, but a sense of, you know, embracing in, in a sense kind of almost a friend, somebody who's going to help us um, in our life and in our own development. 